Hi, I'm Talia Baroncelli, and you're watching TheAnalysis.News. I'll shortly be joined by political analyst Yasser Luwati to speak about the tragic killing of Nahel M., a 17-year-old in France. We'll be speaking about police brutality and the legacies of colonialism. If you enjoyed this content, please don't hesitate to go to our website, TheAnalysis.News, and hit the donate button at the top right corner of the screen. You can also get onto our mailing list, that way you're notified every time there's a new episode. And go to our YouTube channel, The Analysis-News, subscribe to the channel, and like all the videos you want to watch. Back in a bit with Yasser Luwati. Joining me now is Yasser Luwati. He's a political analyst as well as the head of the Committee for Justice and Liberties. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Well, I wanted to have you on to speak about several issues, um, particularly police brutality in France, as well as racism and entrenched inequality. We've seen the French police be historically extremely violent within Western Europe. And a few weeks ago, there was the the tragic shooting, the fatal shooting of Nahil M, a 17-year-old who was shot at point-blank range in his car at a traffic stop in Nanterre. And initially, the French police said that the police officer was just defending himself, but a video was revealed which contradicted this story and which showed that Nahel was innocent and the police, has, the police officer has been charged since then. So maybe you could speak about the response on the streets and the anger to this tragic incident. Well, the uh, initially we have to keep in mind that the government actually stood with the policemen by you know using the uh, the traditional you know talking points. You know he was defending you know himself and he was in in, in danger, and then of course mainstream media used it for the policemen by first saying he was in danger and then of course portraying his victim as a dangerous threat. I mean we're talking about a seventeen-year-old kid who was unarmed and who had previously been beaten by the same police officer, it turned out as he was, you know, fainting in, you know, in, in his car, he released the brakes and then his automatic car moved forward and then the policeman shot him. So the anger, the, the, the outburst of anger the world has witnessed is due to this lie that was again used to, to protect the policeman. And this is not something that's, I'm going to say, happening you know rarely it's every single time and i think we see the same you know patterns uh, taking place in the us and the uk to name a few that the government and mainstream outlets stay with the policeman especially if he's against a, you know, a black or arab uh, person and then the victim is portrayed as threatening an innocent police officer and of course the people who, who uh, rose and took to the street actually identified with the victim of the policeman. And the fact that people did not wait for, you know, the justice system to come into place because we have a long history of the justice system in France, most of the time, you know, clearing the names of the policemen or giving them minimal sentences, like what we call sursis. Basically, if you do it again, you might, you know, get uh, tried and go to jail. Other, other than that, we have not seen the government keeping the police in check and let, let alone siding with the victim's uh, family and showing some kind of empathy that it could have been 
any Arab or black family's kid being shot at point blank. Yeah, and this particular officer, he was awarded with all sorts of different police awards. And they said that, I mean, he had risen so high within the rank. So is this surprising that he committed this crime? Or is it actually sort of an indication of how, if you're more brutal within the police force, then you'll actually be more respected? Well, we have seen several policemen, you know, being decorated after having been tried for acts of police brutality. It is not, you know, you know, it, it didn't. It, it happened in the past. We have seen people. We were expecting the government to dismiss them at least with dishonor and, you know, kick him out of the police force. Let's not, not let's let's not be ambitious and hope they would jail them for uh, decades. But at least to kick him out of the police force. In in return, though. They were like, you know, put aside in the closet for some years and you hear about them a couple of years later that they are being promoted and becoming, you know, officers, if not senior officers. So that is already already a problem which shows that there is an up, almost an absolute lack of accountability within the police force in France. We can come back to that later with the way the police self, you know, or uh, um, scrutinizes you know, it's uh, um, it's a force, but also the doctrine adopted under Emmanuel Macron, for example, we have seen a change in the way the police interacts with the demonstrators. Uh, unlike in countries like Germany, it is not about keeping people at bay or maintaining order. It is about crushing bones and skulls. And the demonstration of this change of a doctrine, doctrine du maintien de l'ordre, or the doctrine of uh, uh, peacekeeping uh, of public order is uh, like in the yellow during the yellow vest episode as during the anti-pension reform uh, uh, episode it is about uh, brutally repressing people to scare them away so when the government maimed children and, and, and order people during the yellow vest demonstration the anti-pension reform demonstrations it was to send a message if you come this is the risk you are taking in the case of the Bourdieu and the so-called ethnic neighborhoods of France, where the blacks and Arabs have been concentrated in the during the policy, the housing policies of the 1960s and 70s, in those neighborhoods, the police is perceived as an occupying force, not as a force to protect and serve. And studies after studies, we see that the police force has a profound problem of racism, which made which is made even worse by the lack of acknowledgement by the successive governments. If you're black or Arab in France, something we have to tell you know, in your international audience, if you're black or Arab in France, you are 20 times more likely of being stopped by the police. You add to it the fact that this police is the deadliest one on continental Europe. 12 people have been killed last year alone at traffic stops, only one in 10 years in Germany. So this is a, a profound problem we are seeing in the Nahel uh, M episode. Unfortunately for me as a French citizen, it, it won't be the last one. It was not the first one, certainly. We can talk about the history of police killings in France against Jews, against Blacks, against Arabs, against new leaders. But unfortunately, we do not see any acknowledgement of the problem and we do not see, you know, political will, let alone courage or integrity to kind of address the issue and say, all right, can we redefine the role of the police and can we put in place systems, mechanisms of checks and balances when the police goes astray from its mission?
Well, we will get to the colonial histories of France and its colonial legacy and how that plays it, how that plays out within the French police force itself. But I do want to speak about a reform from 2017, and I'm not sure if that's what you were referring to, um, but the reform I'm thinking of is the, the Penal Code Reform 4351, which essentially sets out five different instances in which uh, a police officer may engage, may use their weapon and actually shoot someone. Um, and I feel like since then, there have actually been increases in refusals to comply with police officers. And I'm wondering if you think maybe this particular law has actually created these situations in which there could be fatal interactions because this gives more discretion to police officers in terms of when they can use their weapon. Well, the article you mentioned, uh, 445-1 of the Homeland Security Code, was actually passed in 2017 during a socialist administration, François Hollande, and after a heavy lobbying by the police unions. And before we even speak of this piece of legislation, we have to put things into perspective. Police unions first have dramatically shifted towards the hard right, if not the far right. The main police union, uh, Alliance Police, is closer to Marie Le Pen and Eric Zemmour than it is to, for example, the Socialist Party, which wasn't the case a couple of decades ago. So we already see that the far right agenda has entered the police force and has structured the police force around a far right ideology. As a matter of fact, over 52% of the police force have voted for Marine Le Pen in 2017. And other studies within the military police, the so-called gendarmerie, show a similar trend. So we are already in a situation where the ideology that governs the police or represents it before institutions is far-right compatible, to say the least. Now, these unions have been lobbying for ever more the widening of the definition of self-defense, and this piece of legislation is exactly that. It was about, if you do not stop at a, tra tra at a traffic stop, if the police officer is deemed that his life is in danger, he can use deadly force, even though the wording is a bit more precise. Let's not, you know, paint everything in, in dark. It was about absolute necessity. If the policeman or woman's uh, life is in danger, if there is no other recourse, yes, they can use it. The problem is the Ministry of Interior and the police itself, you know, through its, you know, uh, um, uh, officers and senior uh, uh, officers, they adopted a very loose definition of that uh, uh, legitimate defense. And that is why we see much higher numbers with the police than with the gendarmerie or the military police, which is present in in a smaller towns where the police is most likely mostly present in urban areas. However, this trend is not stopping. We see now uh, calls from Marine Le Pen, the far right, people like Eric Ciotti from Les, Les Républicains, the, what was what was the mainstream conservative party. They are calling for a presumption of self-defense, which means. By default, when policemen or women kill someone, by default, they are, you know, in a situation of self-defense. And it would be on the victim to prove otherwise. And that is where things are being pushed or, or the, the direction to which things, uh, uh, policy and regulation is being pushed. At the same time, 
We have not seen Emmanuel Macron, let alone his current Minister of Interior, Gérald Darmanin, putting an end to this drift. You could say, well, the police force, maybe they have a tradition because, you know, the national police, as I said in many in other interviews, the, the, the current national police, as we know it, was set up under the Vichy regime that has worked with the Nazis and welcomed them to, to in, 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 in um, during the, the, the occupation period. Now, this police force, let's say it was, you know, you know, you know, inertia, it was impossible to reform it. Let's go along and be the devil's advocate. We have not seen governments coming from the left, the center or the traditional conservative party oppose this drift towards the far right. And unfortunately, the fact that the government has not supported the victim's family, the, the family of Nahel, and did not condemn a fundraiser that, that, that raised 1.6 million euros within a couple of days for the, the, the killer of Nahel says a lot about where the government stands, whether it speaks publicly or not. Well, you bring up a few very important points, namely how you say the centralized police force was set up by uh, Marshal Pétain on, I think, April 23rd, 1941. But just to push back, I mean, police brutality in France was a thing even in the, the late 1700s. And in 1848, there were there was a week where over 10,000 people were killed. I mean, you could argue that that was against you know, poor white French people and that the incidents now are primarily against um, black and Arab uh, French citizens or, or people in the country. But um, can we I mean, is it fair to just put some of this violence on saying that it has its roots in the Vichy regime and the, the collaborationist regime? Or can we maybe tie some of these incidents to the birth of the French Republic, essentially? Well, if we take a look at how the police was historically set, it was it has always always been about protecting the regime, not the people, not the 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 the, the widow and the orphan, la veuve et as we say in front. From inception, before the Vichy era, however, what the Vichy era did was to centralize everything, like any authoritarian regime at the time, centralize the police, which was usually you know part of the departments, etc. Now it was a centralized entity. However, the reason why I keep bringing the genesis of the modern-day police to the Vichy era is because the police was never purged from this its Vichyite uh, uh, roots. The uh, collaborationists who worked with the Nazis, two of them were very famous. René Bousquet, who promised 100,000 Jews to Karl Aubert, the head of the SS in France, was never sacked. He even continued a successful career in the press, in the banking industry, and even tried to get to run for election again. He was never tried. Maurice Papon, who uh, ordered the killing of hundreds of Algerians on 17th of October 1961, had run out of the Jews in the southwest of France in 1942 as well. So how come these two individuals remained in the police force for decades without being tried? It took the work of historians and investigative journalists to bring back their track record and for them to be tried. Rene Bousquet was actually killed in 1993 by, a, by a, a person who said, like, you know, who just wanted to take the matter into his own hands. He was never brought to court. So, yes, 
the police has historically been about protecting the regime, whatever its nature. But in the case of our police nationale, we can go back to 1941 and say, all right, let's say it was a dark chapter in the history of the French police. What happened after 1945 in the liberation of France? How come we did not purge it? How come we did not reform it? I mean, we talk, we're talking about working with the enemy. We're talking about rounding up French citizens. And this did not bring about no police reform. So when today we confront a racism within the police, we have to kind of go back one decade before another and we find ourselves that the police since 1941 was never a true Republican police to serve and protect. It was there again to protect the regime. But since now we have blacks, Arabs, and, and you know, we accepted the idea that Jews could be rounded up by the state's uh, armed or civilian armed branch. Well, now we have the right to ask, when are we going to reform this police? And are we going to address the DNA of this institution called the, called the Police Nationale? Well, the Police Nationale or the, the National Police, as you mentioned, is um, it falls under the jurisdiction of the French interior minister um, and the head of the minist ministry being Gérald Darmanin, whereas the gendarmerie, they operate more in, in the rural areas of France. Um, so what has Darmanin's specific response been? I mean, is he trying to placate the national police because he knows that the, the unions are so right wing and, and that there's immense support among them for Marine Le Pen? Is he maybe a f scared that he can't really you know, put certain uh, reforms into place or what's going on with him? I mean, what can we expect from him? Well, the, we have two issues when it comes to the uh, Ministry of Interior. First, the government has called itself so much, has developed French society so deeply that the only thing standing in line between the government and the people is the police. The police protected the regime during the Yellow Best episode, during the anti-pension the, the anti reform, and the government knows how much it owes to the police. So much so that when the, 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 the predecessor of Gérald Darmanin, Christophe Castaner, who even said, I do not know a policeman who is responsible of police brutality, just you know, to paraphrase him. Well, he dared to mention the hypothetical possibility of some policemen and women being racist, he was sacked within 48 hours. That's how much weight these unions have. Now, this is now the police as such. When it comes to Gérald Darmanin as a person, he's coming from the roy traditional royalist, ultra-conservative right. He doesn't come from the center-right, like for like, like Alain Juppé or, or Jacques Chirac. He's coming from a very close fringe of the right that is very porous with the far right. So much so that Gérald Darmanin, a couple of years ago, accused Marine Le Pen of being, open the quotation mark, too soft, not on Islamism, but, but on Islam, end of quote. So you have the current Minister of Interior accusing the far right leader of being too soft on the France's Muslim minority. How could we, in, this, in these conditions, expect the government to even address any problem within the police? Uh, I think the first thing, or the second night of the uprisings after the killing of Nahel, the main police union, again, uh, Alliance Police, 
published a blasphemous press release speaking of in the undesirables, using the language of civil war, and threatening the government that if it, if it does not acknowledge this current situation, the police will do what it, what it has to do. So, NGOs had been shut down for calling out Islamophobia. NGOs have been shut down for demonstrating against the uh, pro-oil uh, uh, and pro-heavy um, intensive agriculture lobby. This police union is threatening the government and Macron and Gérald Darmanin did not even address the fact that a police union would threaten the government in place. So that is why we have to be uh, to kind of steer clear of any of hopes that might lead us to a demagogical situation. This is it would be pure demagogy to say the French Republic will, re will reform the police, especially with Macron in place. It won't happen, unfortunately. And the responsibility lies on the shoulders of any French citizen, men or women, who has a any sensitivity towards you know human rights, civil liberties, or who doesn't want to see a state within the state in the form of the police. It seems like they're trying to outdo each other with the rhetoric. I mean, both uh, President Macron as well as Darmanin and these um, right-wing police unions, because I've seen statements where Macron has essentially said that in order for there to be the rule of law, that they need to enforce uh, this police state, police brutality, that oppression of protesters is actually necessary in order to you know, maintain the rule of law, which to me seems very twisted as, and is in actual fact completely opposed to the letter of the law, if you want to call it that. Um, but why don't we speak about uh, French law and, and civic nationalism and speak about secularism in France, because I think this also leads to a lot of the issues of racism and inequality today in France. So in, in 1905, this idea of secularism or laicite, the separation between the church and state, was codified. But since then, it, it, it seems like it has been used as a tactic to be weaponized and instrumentalized against uh, Muslim communities, against black communities who, you know, appear to be different. They appear to be culturally different, and it's prevented them from expressing freedom of religion in, in public spaces. So maybe we could speak about how French law itself sort of disregards the rights of minorities. Well, uh, first, look to, to this notion that uh, these blacks, these Arabs, these Muslims, these Romas, or these Jews, you know, their history, unfortunately, is not that, you know, bright when it comes to France. When we speak about this cultural difference, I always ask in return, okay, what is the benchmark for French culture? I'm from Paris, born and raised. I know my culture is fundamentally very different from a, a similar Yasser Luwati born in Marseille or born in Lille in the north. So French culture is not a monolithic entity. Our culture varies according to geography and, of course, according to time. So when I ask the benchmark for French culture, I get a blank response because people don't know how to define it. What they mean by that is anything that is not white and or Catholic. The problem is even French people are not you know, predominantly Catholic anymore. Many are agnostic, many are atheists, etc., etc. Now, coming to the codification of the secular law in 1905, France had a 
bloody history when it comes to relation between religion, especially between you know Protestants and uh, Catholics. The Protestants were massacred, of course, for you know during the Saint Barthélemy um, you know dark night, and then of course you know throughout decades to follow, then we had some kind of you know relative peace. However, the uh, validator of the absolute monarchy in France was the Catholic Church. So. The initiators of the French Republic and those who carried the torch in subsequent years had as a project to separate politics from religion to kind of keep the state and governmental affairs away from the Catholic Church. And this struggle lasted for about two centuries until 1905. That law was actually a pacifying law because it kept Catholic, the Catholic Church away from you know, you know, uh, public policy. It gave full freedom to the Catholic Church. But for minorities, this was very welcome because it meant that now the state is supposed to be neutral. We forgot about this law for decades when Muslims became visible in the public space through the headscarf of Muslim women in schools and in the public space. People used that piece of legislation, which was about freedom and equality. They used it to weaponize it and to redefine what laicity means. We went from the neutrality of the state, of the government, to the neutrality of individuals and the public space. That's how vicious and that's how twisted the people behind it were. Which means, instead of having a neutral you know, republic which does not acknowledge you know, religion, which would be good for any you know, in religious minority or majority, now they went after Muslims and say, oh, what laicity is about you disappearing from public space. And the fact that many people in France, unfortunately, accepted the idea that a fundamental law of the law of 1905 can be redefined for racist and miso misogynist, miso misogynistic uh, 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 purposes has opened the Pandora box for more uh, legislation to be reinterpreted and weaponized. So much so that today, since 2004, France banned the wearing of the headscarf in France. Yeah, but that goes against laicity initially because the public schooling system is a public institution, therefore it is neutral, not users of public services. But because in France it became acceptable, there wasn't a political pushback against this fundamental redefinition. It opened the door for many anti-Muslim laws in subsequent years, the last of which being the anti-separatism law passed by Emmanuel Macron, which basically puts an end to laicity when it comes to Muslims. Now the government can shut down any Muslim organization as it has in the past. It can designate who can be a legitimate representative for Muslims. But now this law, because many few people resisted it, is being used against environmental organizations, union leaders, etc. Well, a lot of these laws are formed around the assumption that people can leave their political and religious beliefs at home and not express it in the public square. But, I mean, it's not in line with what the European Convention of Human Rights would deem to be freedom of religion. I mean, this is not something that you just leave at home. And so in the case of Islam, of course, people are wearing headscarves and that's something that you can visibly see. But with any other religion, there might be other symbols which maybe aren't as visible. So this is just directly targeting um, Muslim women, at least in my opinion. So it, it is just bizarre that uh, this c conception of secularism has been 
changed in such a way to direct it towards um, specific yes. groups. But why don't we talk about culture? Because you did bring up a really great point. I mean, culture is not monolithic. It is something which is fluid and arguably French culture is shaped by so many other influences, especially by the people who come from former French colonies. Well, I'm going to give a, a, uh, an extreme example that kind of highlights how flawed the concept of French or, you know, Western, you know, culture is. The, the concept of French, of French Western culture is. Um, why is it that France has kicked out allowed to drown in sea, left to, for, uh, to starvation of immigrants from black French-speaking countries, Mali, Senegal, Ivory Coast, to just to name a few, but welcomed white Ukrainian refugees and mobilized state institutions to welcome them in decent housing, decent schools, and to get jobs. I'm not saying we shouldn't have welcomed the Ukrainian refugees. I'm, a, I'm saying, why is it that there was an one-upmanship to welcome refugees and stand with them if they came from the Ukraine, a non-speaking, a non-French-speaking country, most of the time not even Catholic, but those who came from West Africa, who spoke French, many of whom are Catholic because of you know history, etc were left to drown in the Mediterranean Sea. So we already see that the concept of French culture and assimilation and integration are always are always uh, uh, being used to rig the game again and again, which means anytime you have a chance of making it into mainstream society, getting a place in French society, we change the rules of the game so you are constantly losing. And even so much so that even for those who are French of two, three, four generations uh, uh, after their, you know, great grandparents, you know, came from Africa, they still have less chances than a, a primo arrivant, which is, you know, a newly arriving white immigrants from Europe or elsewhere. And that's a fundamental problem in France, because to quote Charles de Gaulle in the 19, uh, I think he said that in the 1960s, he said, oh, France is a country whose race is white and religion is Catholic. So if you do not fall into these two categories, you cannot be French. Now, people will say, yeah, but that was General de Gaulle. That was, you know, then, this is now. Yeah, but how different is it today? When, if you are a Muslim person looking for a job, you have to, you have to send five more resumes to a company just to secure one you know, interview. If you apply for housing, you have to wait twice as much as a white person. And again, you have police, you know, police, you know, racial profiling, etc. The absence of representation in France. What in the constitution we are told France does not recognize the communities and religions. Yeah, but people are treated based on their religion, their community and their ethnic background. So that is why this concept of culture is, how can I say? It's just a way to kind of conceal the systemic racism of France. And even any time you put this on the table, people hide behind the, the, the notion of universalism or universal values. But there is no race. It's a colorblind republic. It is a deeply racist republic. The fifth republic as we know it today was born in 1958. 
And the reason why we are still bearing the brunt of colonization and the colonial legacy is because first, France did not acknowledge its role in the colonial era and how the colonial era has permeated French institutions. And the constitution of 1958, which was passed to bring back to power Charles de Gaulle, is first highly authoritarian as when it was passed to keep Algerians from voting in, in, in during elections because if you have you know um, uh, universal suffrage where demographics are going to play a major role and that's why to keep Algerians from voting in national elections they know France how to keep Alge Algeria away so when are we going to address this legacy and when are we going to stop you know uh, or, or when are we going to wake up from this collective amnesia there was colonization End of story, new chapter. No, what happened a century ago still has ramifications as we speak today. I mean, these racialized populations are treated essentially as um, surplus populations, as populations which are just there to do the dirty work and to kind of maintain certain systems of inequality and where there's you know no possibility for a real coming together of, of different groups within France and also addressing issues of of poverty i mean it's not just um people of, from black and arab descent but also you know as we've seen in the anti-pension protests also white communities and poor white communities so i think there, there are two things that need to be dealt with essentially france needs to come to terms and address its colonial past and it also needs to overthrow the sort of entrenched neoliberal policies that macron has been pushing forth over the, the past few years. And he's just so out of touch with with people. And I think that's why you see, you know, not only racialized people and vulnerable groups who are protesting, but also a lot of young white people in, in France. Well, I, I, I think what you're pointing to is extremely important for what's going to happen next. French people have now the responsibility to decide under what regime they want to live. Do they want to continue living under a regime that is highly authoritarian, that can use the constitution to bypass parliament, as we saw with Macron and the anti-pension reform? And at the same time, they also have to ask themselves, what constitutes the common us or the common narrative? Is the majority of French people closer to those exploiting them in the name of neoliberal policies who are they closer to their black and Arab neighbors who are paying as a higher price due to these policies? I don't think it's a question of being either an oppressor or a victim. I think now we are at a crossroads. The French Republic, as we know it, the fifth republic since 1958, is completely discredited. Governments, whether you vote or not, do not work for the majority of people. They are passing legislation that is threatening the well-being of people today and their kids tomorrow. They are destroying the environment by promoting 19th century-like policies when it comes to the organization or the organizing of the economy. So we see that the majority of people in France, whether they are black, Arab, white, whatever, are paying a price, of course, you know, different according to your you know, ethnic background. The danger here is that we constantly see many, too many French people hoping that 
as long as the other is targeted, they are going to be immune. That was a fundamental and a moral mistake made when the government passed all these anti-terrorism bills now into laws, as long as they were being applied or they thought they were being applied against Muslims only. Yes, in 2015-2016, the government went after Muslim organizations. Now it is going against leftist organizations. And the government has excluded left-wing opposition from the so-called Republican arc, those who stand by the Republican values, and the government designated the far right as being more Republican than the uh, um, unsubmissive uh, France uh, of uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, which means the government found more proximity, related more to the National Front or the National Rally of Marine Le Pen than with the left and center-left opposition. Now, for any person who's been around for, for a few years, does see that there is a trend, and this trend is not going towards the best. And again, I turn to French people when they complain about, I, mean, I turn to white French people when they complain about the ongoing repression, I just tell them, join the club. You were silent when your black and Arab neighbor was being targeted. Now it is only your turn. And it will not end there because the regime today under Emmanuel Macron is showing signs of deep insecurity. It is not, it kept, you know, parliament from voting on or for or against the pension reform bill. It bypassed parliament through multiple times through Article 49-3, which allows the executive branch of power to pass a bill without any vote. And we see an explosion in inequality. What kind of future does that spend for the French, for, for the for the rest of the French population? Nothing good, especially as we speak when, that, when we see you know the you know the the um, the effects of climate change and the government still standing with the industrial lobby at all levels. French people are losing. Now it is their responsibility to decide: Are they going to keep watching what's happening, or are they going to take the matter to their own hands? And do like our ancestors did in this country, rise against the regime and, and, and walk towards something better. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence that the anti-pension reform protests, as well as um, protests against racism and police brutality, are happening at the same time. We could say that these are a product of overlapping systems of oppression, which which target virtually everyone in in France. If you're not of the elite and if you're part of a racialized group or working class. And I think, um, you know, people really do need to unite and, and target the source of this, which is the French state perpetuating these various forms of inequality. And if it becomes a battle of who is the bigger victim, I don't think we'll, within European society, really ever get there. I do agree with that. And I think the uh, victim of the race didn't play well for anyone because the government used that to use a, how can I say, the good minority against the bad minority, the good class against the others. And now, even those who a few years ago thought they were like, you know, we are kind of exempt from this, are finding themselves paying a price too for these, you know, you know policies that again work only for a tiny minority. Well, you know, if, our economy was designed after, you know, 1945 
to work for massive, you know, state-owned companies. These state-owned companies now are owned by the stock, the stock market. So our policies are not, you know, tailored for the majority of people. They are tailored for a handful of people. So again, the unions have lost their influence. Political parties are no longer representative. Civil society is being crushed by these policies. Well, maybe time is now to kind of, you know, figure out, you know, where people could, you know, get to speak to one another and acknowledge that anytime you allow the government to go after white group, it's going to come for you next. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And I think, I think some people are starting to realize that. And as you mentioned, and I do agree with you, the, the interpension with front protests kind of brought together these fringes of civil society where you had people more worried about the economy, working with people more worried about, you know, racism, because at the end of the day, it is the same regime promoting racist policies on the one hand and, uh, you know, ultra-liberal uh, uh, policies on the other. And again, I don't have really a, a script what's going to happen next. I'm just hoping that people do realize that, you know, their future is, is, is in between their hands and that institutions are failing us. We, we, we can no longer count on the government. The good sign, if I may, is that during the 14th, you know, the Bastille Day military parade, as Emmanuel Macron was, you know, driving down the Champs-Élysées, the shouting of Macron démission or Macron reside were so loud that mainstream media couldn't ignore them. They had to, because before they would, they would like, you know, cut the sound and that's it. Now they had to acknowledge, okay, there is there an angry mob around the military parade and they are not shouting, long live Macron, they are calling for his demise. So maybe, I think something might happen in a few years to come, but I do not know what is going to be a worse or a better outcome for us. It's hard to say with the failure of electoral politics, especially when you have someone like Macron in power who attracts people because they don't want to vote for Le Pen for obvious reasons. And you just have this political stalemate, so to speak, where nothing is really happening, but it could potentially get worse. Well, actually, it's even, you know, thank you for reminding me, but uh, Macron's party is are again preparing the standoff between his party and Marine Le Pen. Third time in a row. We had it in 2017. Okay. I'm going to be the entire Pen. Five years of rule. He was pretty much a clue to Marine Le Pen. Second uh, um, re-election campaign of 2022. He ran on a far-right platform and refused to call out Marine Le Pen for what she was, the representative of a fascist party set up by former Vichyites. So much that even he rebuffed his own prime minister, Elizabeth Bourne, when she said Marine Le Pen's party is was set up by collaborationists. Now, for the edition of 2027, they are preparing the standoff between Edouard Philippe, who was Macron's former prime minister, and Marine Le Pen, again, with a blackmailing, if it's not us, it's the, you know, it's going to be Marine Le Pen. And I think this time Marine Le, Pen, Marine Le Pen might win, even though I do think she won the ideological battle. Her ideas are in power uh, by far. I mean, Marine Le, uh, 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 Macron has been following her agenda basically almost like, you know, one bill after another. But for them to even think they can organize a third, 
you know, you know, uh, hostage taking of the of the election. After trying a couple of days ago to uh, ask for you know Macron to run for a third mandate, even though the constitution does not allow it, yet means that we are living in in in, in, in two in two parallel universes. Emmanuel Macron and his people still think they have the situation under the control and that they can outwit the French population. And I think Emmanuel Macron is indeed playing with fire, especially when it comes to the election of 2027. Well, Yasser Louati, it was really great to speak to you. Thank you for this very engaging discussion. And I do hope to have you on very soon to speak about European migration policies in Tunisia and, and Libya and the violence that's being perpetuated there. So thank you again for joining. Thank you for having me. And thank you for watching TheAnalysis.News. If you enjoyed this content, please do go to our website, TheAnalysis.News, and hit the donate button at the top right corner of the screen. Get on our email mailing list and go to our YouTube channel, TheAnalysis-News. Like the channel, subscribe, and hit the bell. That way you're notified every time there's a new episode. See you soon.